And now let's turn our attention to Kirk Mays. Kirk is the CEO of Forgotten Harvest in Detroit. He's a 1999 graduate of the College of Communication Arts and Sciences. Forgotten Harvest is a nonprofit organization that fights hunger and food insecurity by rescuing surplus food that would otherwise be thrown away, and they donate it to families in need. Kirk, great to have you on the program. Russ, thank you for having me. It is an honor to be here with you today. And tell us more about Forgotten Harvest and the mission. Sure. So Forgotten Harvest is Southeast Michigan's food rescue organization. We've been around for 30 years um, after the inspiration and blessed work of our founder, a woman by the name of Nancy Fishman. One day she was actually in a tough spot and she needed help. She went out to some of the local organizations um, in, in, the, in the metro Detroit area to, to get that help. And while she was there, she noticed that there were other women with their children there in tow uh getting help just like her she made a commitment that she was she wanted to actually do something when her life turned around she started doing research when that time came and found stories about a woman a single woman who was actually doing uh, food rescue with her station wagon at the time uh, nancy had a jeep cherokee uh, she looked at her truck and said i can do this she went out and started picking up food from local uh, caterers and restaurant owners that she knew 30 years later, Food Forgotten Harvest is an organization now serving about 46 to 47 million pounds of food to Metro Detroit. Uh, we got a fleet of 27 plus vehicles um, and, a, and a staff of 85 people. And our specialty is to find food from grocers, food manufacturers, agricultural outlets, uh, anywhere we can find it that would have actually ended up going to waste because it doesn't meet the manufacturer specs or doesn't meet the retail specs. And then we turn it around and give it to about 250 organizations in Wayne, Oklahoma, Macomb County for free. Has the pandemic impacted your mission and what you're doing every day? So since the, the onset of the COVID-19 crisis, there's two really critical aspects of how we get the work done that have been affected in a deep way. Uh, one is the fact that, you know, we get this food from food uh, suppliers and food uh, the f from the food supply chain, uh, from food businesses, then we then get it to uh, community organizations that get it back out to the community. So if we don't have those community organizations um, able and ready to serve the community that we all are entrusted um, uh, to do more for, uh, then we don't have any place to send the food. So early in this uh, crisis, we had to figure out how we would offset the potential of a lot of our community partners who are largely staffed by volunteers and a lot of those volunteers are seniors, how we could offset the, the reduced capacity of the entire network to make sure we can still get food out there. So we created a, a, our, we implemented our, our, our Forgotten Harvest uh, mobile pantry on the go um, uh, uh, platform, which allows us to essentially do like our pop-up farmer's market and then with our existing uh, volunteers um, and new people who have been stepping up all across the region to, to try to help us out, uh, we've been deploying volunteers a little bit differently. Um, that's the second piece. Without the volunteers uh, that we typically get, and it's about 16000 a year that we usually get to help Forgotten Harvest complete the Michigan mission, we just can't get the volumes of food that we get in our hands out to people in a way that we've been able to separate the good from the bad and reduce big volumes down to small volumes that make sense for mobile populations. So uh, our ability to be able to make the shifts necessary uh, so we can still have a platform to get the right amount of food out to the different areas of Wayne, Oklahoma, Macomb County, 
to be able to get the right kind of uh, personal protection equipment so we can protect our own people, um, protect our volunteers and the people that we're serving, and uh, kind of be w uh, flexible while all of the different fluctuations of the food supply chain um, have been happening during this time. Uh, we've had to also buy food, which is a different way of us getting food um, right. out to the community. We're supplementing the things that we typically would just rely on donations. And we're also supplementing those, supplementing those things with, with, with groceries that we're buying so we, people can have full full array of, of, of supplies when they go home and they can stay home and stay safe until this whole thing's over. And, you know, restaurants have been one of the hardest hit sectors by the pandemic. Do you worry about some of them going under and some of your supply being cut off? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, a lot of our food that we get um, is not from restaurants at this point. You know, as the organization evolved over the years, what we realized that was that prepared foods, things that may have had more uh, touch points to them were uh, more of a risk for us. And in a lot of instances, they were a smaller portion. So Forgotten Harvest spent of the, the majority of the 30 years that we've been growing, uh, <clears throat> specializing our, you know, getting ourselves really good at finding bulk items, uh, things that were still a level of, of, of stability. So we do get prepared foods, but largely it's from large institutional donors like uh, we'll we'll get hot dogs after the Tigers games. Uh, we'll get the things out of the kitchen or the casino because you know they're dealing with such large volumes. But we typically are trying to get food that didn't come out the oven. Uh, it was cooked, but it never got presented to people. The truth is, uh, restaurants in general try to do their best to reduce their waste and reduce their costs. So what we're seeing right now, as a as a result of COVID, you know, as it relates to the restaurants, is the fact that I don't know if anybody truly appreciated how much of the food supply chain that the restaurants actually dominate and they, and they command for, for their own supplies. So as restaurants have shut down, the entire food supply chain or food supply system has been affected. Uh, farmers can't get this, the, the, the onions and the potatoes that they planted last season, you know, in anticipation of, of the demand that typically comes for, for, for restaurants. So in the onset of everything, we did get a lot of donations of already uh, purchased items from restaurants so that that stuff wouldn't go bad. Um, of course, purchasing uh, had to change. So restaurant as restaurants figure out how they're gonna roll back out. It, it, as far as your direct question though, as far as the, the business health of a lot of our restaurant partners in the community, you know, we're hoping that folks are gonna be able to come back and uh, get their restaurants back going. The true test of everything is going to be how fluidly consumers are going to be able to actually uh, meet the needs of keeping an entire restaurant system up and going when we know restaurants are still not going to be able to go full blast, uh, full operation. Dining rooms are probably not going to be open full blast. Uh, there still be a lot of carry out, um, but it is definitely going to be difficult for a lot of businesses to transition, restaurants and otherwise, and the flu supply chain is kind of uh, beholden to how that all plays out because um, there's a lot of food that's destined for restaurants that's not getting out to the people right now because of that. And can you talk more, Kirk, about Forgotten Harvest partnership with the city of Detroit? Since the beginning of uh, the whole crisis, we've been you know, partnering with a number of different uh, municipalities. So uh, because we're in Wayne, Oakland, Macomb County, 
uh, we literally get a chance to partner with cities across the region. The city of Detroit has been a part of that. We've done everything from uh, coordinate our distribution list uh, to ensure that uh, things are coming from communication uh, levels straight from city government and otherwise. Uh, we've coordinated with uh, at different points uh, with, with City Hall in order to uh, try to get supplies and try to get opportunities to set ourselves up so we can get to the most people as possible. Um, we've been working to try to make sure that we're filling in the gaps uh, for areas that kids need summer lunches and summer meals, uh, where the schools uh, may or may not be able to get those food there. So just a lot of ways that um, in every city, uh, we're trying to, to, to just be where we need to be to, to, to help the leadership uh, do what they need in order to keep things going and fluid for people in our community. And giving back like this is really personal for you, isn't it, Kirk? And I think you got that from your mom. Yeah, this is what my mom showed me my whole life uh, through her example of giving back, whether it's been uh, through getting up every day and working through her local church community or, you know, being the matriarch of our family and always taking things back to the people in, in our family and in our friends of our family in Jamaica, uh, serving people, uh, doing things for the right reason, uh, trying to think ahead of the need uh, so somebody doesn't necessarily have to ask for something that you can see that they need, uh, thinking about the emotional and mental journey that somebody's going through when they don't have and making sure that you're not just there to provide them for physical needs, but also that you're there as a human being, helping somebody through a part of their life. All of these things are the true values that my mother instilled into me that allowed me to be um, such a strong servant that some people look at and think that I'm a leader, but I'm just really trying to help. And and Kirk, how would you just define food insecurity and, and how big a problem is it? You know, it's a much it's a much bigger problem than a lot of people realize. On the surface of that comment alone, uh, you can interpret what I'm saying as there's a lot more people that are hungry than we 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 fully appreciated by the numbers. But if I could take the time to help everybody understand how we look at food insecurity, and a good way for us to to tell that story uh, is based off of a a story my dad told me, actually a real life account. When I first got this job, you know, as I mentioned, my parents are from Jamaica, and uh, my dad was on one of his trips. Uh, to go and take care of some family uh, um, businesses. And he was he was sitting at a, a local roadside restaurant. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the island and the way it's set up, but when we say roadside, we mean roadside. Like your food could be in one hand and there could be a car at your foot <laughs> at another section, right? So he's sitting at this restaurant, he's getting his food, one of his favorite places, and he sees a person literally across the road in the undeveloped side of the road on the seaside. And the gentleman was actually digging through the trash, looking for things that he was putting to the side that to, to my dad, it apparently looked like he was looking for food. So that moment, plus the, the fact that I had just started this job, kind of broke my dad up to the what the significance of the moment was. And he decided to ask for the food to get wrapped up. He took it across the street. He gave it to the gentleman. The gentleman, through my dad's account, was clearly grateful, clearly happy for it. But what he did actually surprised my dad because what he did was he actually took the food, he, he carefully put it to the side and he kept on looking for, for the things that he was looking for. And my dad came back to me and said, man, I don't know. I felt like I did a good thing, but I still felt like, you know, 
You just can't help certain people. And I explained to my dad that what he witnessed was that he did exactly what he was trying to do. He did give the gentleman what he needed in order to address his hunger. But you have to understand, hunger is something that all of us actually experience in a moment. What he couldn't help him with, what, he, what my dad couldn't help that gentleman with at that moment was his food insecurity, his not knowing where his next meal or his future meals were going to come from. And we don't also know who else was probably waiting at his destination or his resting spot for whatever he brought back, right? So food insecurity can not only affect you because of what your anxieties are of the onsetting of pain that comes with hunger, but also your empathy and sympathy for those who are under your care. And the fear and anxiety that come with that can affect people throughout their lives in a way that's no less than PTSD. So I know people who are well beyond the, the, the scope of, of food insecurity, wealthy and even able to donate to Forgotten Harvest. But the reason why they donate to Forgotten Harvest, the reason why they still get up and work so hard at their job and push so hard for their family and push so hard to accomplish their goals is because they may have remembered a time way back when they were younger where their family experienced hunger and they never want to go there again. In many ways, that's food insecurity too. So we are talking about something that's largely psychological, largely that's emotional. It's, it's living in the spirits of our kids. It's living in the spirits of good people who are trying to do their best to get up every day, to make ends meet, to do good at a job, to progress themselves forward. And when hunger comes around and bites them in the back, it affects them more than just a, a pain in their belly. It can be demeaning. It can be something that can, can, can wear away at hope. And it can be something that can actually carry on through the good parts of somebody's life when they should be focused on winning and not worried about what, what the, what's going to happen after six o'clock gets there, you know? So at Forgotten Harvest, we're trying to do the most we can to make sure that we have our hands on the food that will make that would definitely put the, the resources on the tables of the people in our community. But we're also looking at ways that we could become a smarter organization, use data to tell us where we need to be, use better communication to, to be able to let our community know where food is, how they can get to it, and how we can complete easy transactions so nobody has to worry about where their next meal or future meal is coming from. Russ, is a great question. Thank you for, for asking me about it. It is definitely, as you could probably uh, already tell, something that I'm really passionate about, and it's a story that I can't wait to continue to tell to more people. Yeah, and you're right, Kirk. Our mutual friend, Phil Knight from the Food Bank Council, often says, if people are hungry, nothing else matters because nothing else can be accomplished. And food, Forgotten Harvest, too, is attacking a problem a, a lot of people don't know about, too, which is how much food we waste. I think it's as much as 40 percent, isn't it? And you're really, because these places would probably throw this out if you didn't come to the rescue. Rescue is a good word for Forgotten Harvest. That's exactly right. We're so we're a food rescue organization. We prefer to be considered that other than a food bank. No disrespect to the food banking world, but we set up our operation to identify where fresh, healthy food that still has life, and then we try to get it straight to the community um, with our own logistics uh, capability. Uh, that gives us a bit of an edge and advantage because uh, companies that are trying to do their best to improve their bottom line, watch those margins and do the best for their customers and grow their business. While they do want to do good for the community, they can't always add on an extra truck or an extra person to be able to get those extra supplies that are right there. 
that can't that can go to the community, but without a fleet of dedicated people in our community to add that facility so we can help those businesses and supplement that willingness uh, to help the community, you know, there would be a lot of food that would go to the landfill and wouldn't get to people and wouldn't be able to fill those gaps. So Forgotten Harvest is a bridge. Our job is to make sure that the food that was always destined for the poor, the sick, the hungry, the aliens, the, the, the immigrants in our community, they get it. And uh, as society, we're, we're a little bit tighter together uh, because we're looking out for each other. And Kirk, there will be, despite what numbers you hear, nine or 10 billion people on the planet by about 2050 and concerns with feeding all of them. Do you think we're up to the challenge? I definitely do. Uh, you know, the truth is, uh, as you already mentioned, there's a lot of the food that we have right now that's being wasted. So there's there's room to be more efficient with what we already have. There's ways that we can actually improve uh the, the gaps between what's what's needed and what's used. And I think that will be critical in us being able to make sure that um, we have the proper kind of food in our supply chain. But you know, before we get to a place where uh, we have food sh- shortages, we're gonna get to a place first where we have to uh, deal with um, having less choices, which uh, for Americans and for many people in free countries, that can seem as probably as, uh, as, as, as restrictive as not having all the food you need. But the truth is uh, we have so many choices and uh, because of those choices, uh, we naturally waste. Uh, we don't necessarily have our palates at this point in our, our society uh, bent towards what makes the most sense for our culture, our region and, and the planet. You know, we get up every day and say, you know, what do you want to eat tonight? And, you know, with no real consideration of what it takes for somebody in Colorado to be able to eat any any menu from anywhere in the world. You know, we can eat Chinese, Indian, Thai, Mexican, and you just can pick up your phone and press buttons at this point. Right. So the the, the to appreciate what has to happen in order to create a a food supply chain that gives all of our communities the kinds of options that we have from fruits and vegetables to shelf stable items you know when we get to a point where we have all that population and we really got to start looking at how we're going to fill the numbers you know we got a lot of stuff that's going on we're doing we're doing a shotgun approach right now to say the least and you, you know how that is you can definitely tighten up uh, that piece. So I feel confident that um, we'll make the right choices going along the way. I, I worry more about whether or not the planet will be healthy mm-hmm. through our decision-making process. Uh, if we can make the choices that we need to make fast enough that um, the planet can continue to be healthy and produce the things that we ask her to produce uh, at the whims that we ask her for. Uh, one of the good things right now through the COVID process is just the fact that everybody and in, in all motion has slowed down significantly. I'm hoping that that's given us a little extra room and a little extra healing time um, so the planet can still be there for us when we need her. And Kirk, uh, why coming out of Brother Rice, was MSU the right place for you and, and how did it impact you and how still does it to be a Spartan? And coming out of Brother Rice with a fairly you know, decent GPA. I mean, I graduated with Brother Rice, I think, with over a three point something or something like that. 
that prepares you, right? You, 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 you have a sense that I can go anywhere. So it was largely about the culture on the campus. Uh, it was going to be my first time spending any significant time from home other than going to like basketball camps or summer camps. And I come from a very, uh, how do you say it? I come from a very uh, traditional family, but our family is of, you know, first generation out of a third world country, you know? So I grew up based off of principles, really, you know, I grew up being, being um, expected to do the right thing when nobody else was in the room, you know? And, and also as a kid that was going to church, literally six days a week and twice on Sunday. And I'm not even making that up. Um, I played every sport I could at school just so I could miss church some days. So um, going to MSU and MSU being literally one of the largest campuses in, in the country and having a diversity palette of pretty much every every culture and every race of people around the globe being on that campus, it was big enough for me to feel like I was in a whole nother world. You know, when you add on things like we had the physical plant and our own power plant and our own police station, it felt like MSU was a city all by itself. And for that matter, the biggest city in the area where we were, right? The only thing that was bigger than us was the state capital and it only felt this much more significant. Um, so I feel like MSU was the first world that was mine to grow into. It was the first major campus I was ever exposed to. And when I went to Michigan to visit and I went to Michigan State to visit, I can't explain it. I could, but what I will say is this. I just felt at home at MSU. I felt like it was more of a place that had the kind of vibration and had the kind of people that I was used to uh, coming from a, a home with people who pretty much were salt of the earth. My dad is still working at Ford Motor Company. He's going on 55 years. And my mother raised other people's families and stuff like that, you know? So for me, I come out of a servant, kind of meager service household of hard workers. MSU just seemed like it was, it was, it was more of my speed. Um, and then when I got there, I realized that there was no limitation on MSU, the culture was definitely not something that was limited by my familiarity or comfort level with it. There were crooks and crevices on that campus that I was learning about even through the time I graduated. I met people that I to this day give people the example that if I didn't go to a place like MSU, I wouldn't even have been able to be exposed to certain cultures, certain flavors, certain ideas. Uh, MSU as a, as a place for me was where I grew up. It's where I grew up as a human being, is where I grew up as a, as a man, is where I learned in many ways what it meant to be an African-American against the background of all these other cultures that we're all a part of as well. And learning that we have a significance as an African-American community to contribute to that, but there's a lot of other cultures that are out there that we can also grow from and I can also grow from. So for me, it was just a fantastic experience um, of growth and of discovery and uh, of friendships that I still have to this day. Spartans will. Well, Kirk, thanks so much for telling us about this great work. And before I let you go, how can people volunteer or help with you? And just 
leave us with what you want us to remember about Forgotten Harvest and what you're doing. So come to our website, www.forgottenharvest.org. You can go in there and you can find out about what we're doing during the COVID crisis. Um, you can check the banner. It's a, it's a tab at the top. It's a red banner. Very easy to see. On that page, you'll find all the different places that we're giving our food. We're updating that on a weekly basis um, just to keep it fresh and just to make sure that if there's any changes at the last minute, we keep it as accurate as possible. There's also opportunities to donate right on the website. There's a number of buttons all over the page. If you if you can and you and, and you 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 think that you can um, you'd like to help Forgotten Harvest, we could definitely use the resources. We've been getting tremendous support from the MSU community and others. Uh, but we worry that as this pandemic continues uh, to, to to go on, that about 90 days from now. We don't know where the support is going to be. So don't forget about us at Forgotten Harvest. We may still need you if the pandemic is going on. As a matter of fact, when we get to the end of the summer, definitely go to the website and, and think about donating to us. And if you can volunteer, there's also opportunities to go on there and volunteer. There's a dedicated page. You'll see the places that we have available that we're giving food away. We have personal protection equipment for everybody. So you'll go out there with the type of supplies you need. Uh, we're training people before they go out. so. Uh, everybody knows the protocol of social distancing and all the other things that we're looking to, to do. And um, the schedule's there. Uh, fill it out for the next available date. But we're going to need people all the way through this. So continue to help us. Continue to look out for us. And uh, we can use all the Spartan Nation to get by our side right now. Go green. Go white. Kirk Mace, thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Thank you, sir. That's Kirk Mays, the CEO of Forgotten Harvest, again, ForgottenHarvest.org. And he's a 1999 graduate of MSU's College of Communication Arts and Sciences.